Unplug It is a podcast talking all things St Kilda and brought to you by the wonderful crew at Marbled Meats in East Bentley. You can find them at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. And a reminder that you can order online with our promo code PLUGGER for 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks. Now enjoy our latest episode. taken by Vanderbeer but not enough as Long picks it up for the Saints, kicks it up to the wing position, Geary the captain over the top, look at them gone, they're gone Butler's on, King all alone and if he turns around there's another one on Butler's run all the way and he gets it on the goal line and kicks the goal bang, what a reply great football by St Kilda well, welcome to another edition of Unplug It, a successful uh, edition this week on the back of a 39-point win over the Western Bulldogs upon resumption. We, we entered the lockdown a little bit flat after the frustrations of round one and the fade-out against North Melbourne and maybe a little bit unsure as to how the group would come out of it, and they came out of it very well. It was a, a dicey first 15 minutes as the Bulldogs' pressure was pretty good, but uh, we put them to the sword after that, and it was a really impressive performance built on the back of a, a lot of run and, and dash and, and accurate kicking inside 50 as well, which has not always been a feature of the Saints. 14 488 to 7 7 49. Jack Billings with three, and, and Max King again a couple of goals and pretty exciting. And basically, all of the new recruits Butler, Jones, Ryder, etc., all having a, a really significant impact on the game. Darren Parkin is my name. We'll be joined by Ozzy Jones a little bit later on. One of uh, our favourites, I think most people at Barrack for the Saints had him as a favourite during the 90s, early 2000s, based on the way he played. But starting off with you, Aaron, it was a, a pleasing day. Obviously, we're watching it in different corners of the world rather than at, uh, at Marvel Stadium, but um, a really a really good victory to kickstart the season. Yes, much better return to form. Um, we, As we said, we went into the game thinking, OK, we're half a chance here and Started off a bit, we kicked the first goal and thinking, okay, good start. But yeah, then they turned around a little bit and thinking, oh, here we go. This is this is not looking too good. But after that first half of the first quarter, we just switched on and that, that was the end of it. We put a gap between them and left them behind. It's, um, yeah, really good to come out of the time off. And for all our new players, as you're mentioning, just to click the way they did. Um, that's what I think we're most concerned about whether the play, new players were all going to gel quick enough or not and Nick we may have lost Jaron Geary but um, script, script wise that, that went about as well as we could have hoped well yeah I mean it's funny we, we spoke a while ago about having the depth in the in mm. defensive 
um, part of the ground that we hadn't really seen before. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's a number of players that can come in this week to, to replace gears, obviously, you know, really highly respected part of the team as the captain and his, his work ethic and, and the way that he marshals the troops, I think will be difficult to replace, but um, you know, there's a couple of guys knocking on the door to, to come and, and take that spot. It might end up being difficult for him to come back in if, if you know, guys like a, a Webster or a battle come in. Uh, Robertson, I know, is kind of he was on the cusp in, in round one, but um, you yeah, know, seemingly might have gone a bit backwards o- over the break. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see what you know how this team lines up in uh, in round three because there's there's a couple of questions, and the main one is who do you who do you take out if if there's going to be people to come in because that was a really solid team effort in round two. Yeah, I mean the the, the Dunstan omission in, ended up working. I'm a guy that thinks that he's he's underrated. I think he's probably in our best 22, but it's horses for courses. And obviously they went with a little bit more speed. And we saw the the smaller forwards in in Butler and Loney and have a really good day. That the outside outside type midfielders like Zach Jones that you can win his own footy and Billing to give you a bit of speed and and run, uh, complemented by the inside players of Steele and Ross and, and Hanabry that, that all had a, a really good impact. So that, they picked a well-balanced team. Uh, we'll talk about it a bit later on, but Collingwood, uh, by nature, aren't all that tall in front of the footy. So forward line, they're a little bit shorter. And whether that means that you, you have to rest Howard or Carlisle and play a, a smaller defender so that you end up with Wilkie and, and one of those guys is a key tall. But um, yeah, that, that'll be really interesting. But uh, it was it was just good to see the player really aggressive, fast brand of football, and that's the type of footy that I think can trouble a team like Collingwood if we can uh, execute it. What was really impressive, I thought, was you know we talk about the the recruits and how well they they fit in in, in round two, but you know we we haven't seen the best of Brad Hill yet either, and and he was kind of the the, the most heralded recruit of of all, probably across the whole AFL, to be honest, over the last off season. Um, and you know he's he's still got a lot more to show, and I think he will over time. Uh, but you know if if we can play as direct footy, attractive footy, move the ball really quickly and, and smoothly without him having a massive yeah, it's um it's an interesting one in in regards to to Hill. So he's had twelve possessions in the first game, eleven in the first half, and, and only one in the second, and then nineteen in this game. Nineteen possessions is a solid contribution in a shortened match. It's the equivalent of maybe twenty four or twenty five, but. Yeah, certainly he would have had Jones, Hanabry, Billings, Ross and Steele, probably all those midfielders that were ahead of him in terms of the game. So, Clark. Yeah, Clark, another one who, whose ball use was phenomenal. There was that passage of play where he had one pass inside on the right and then another pass inside on the left in the same exchange. So that was encouraging. And the Marshall-Ryder thing worked really well. We had 49 hit-outs to 11. Uh, Ryder didn't get a lot of the ball, but was just putting it down the throat of the mids. And, and Marshall did what you want him to do. He went forward and took a mark and kicked a long set shot goal at, a, at an important stage of the game. I was about to say, he's almost going going on 33, but how how exciting was Ryder coming in? It almost felt like we had a new new kid who had come through the junior ranks and all of a sudden just taken the game by storm. It, it, it just completely changed the way we play the game. Uh, we're getting first use. We're getting getting to knowing where he's going to tap it. We're getting there first to it. Where Ryder just knows what's happening out there, and he's able to deliver basically what he's telling his midfielders. Look, I'm going to put the ball here. That's where you run, and he gets it to him. It's amazing to have that difference when we haven't seen a ruckman, a tap ruckman like that for a number of years now. It almost looked like the, the midfielders didn't know what to do in that situation, especially in that, that first quarter and early part of the second quarter where 
that they weren't used to getting first use. They weren't getting, they weren't used to having hands on the ball off, you know, off a, a contested ruck opportunity. And, um, you know, it was, it was like silver service. It was, it was incredible to watch the, the way that he just dominated Tim English and, and some of those other smaller ruckmen uh, in, in some of those contests. Cal Wilkie, good on Josh Bruce, obviously. Um, and again, it continues the trend of, I can't remember Cal Wilkie being beaten or, or having a bad day. And I saw a few people talking about it on social media. You start to think, what was it that stopped him getting drafted? So many drafts he got overlooked in and, and recruited at 24 or whatever he was. And I just wonder what it was that all recruiters, including our, obviously our own club on previous occasions, saw in him that, that led to him not being drafted because he's as comfortable as, as anyone at the level. You find there's probably a lot of the players who are just on that point that they, they haven't been picked, but if they get their opportunity, they would absolutely take it. And I mean, you get a player who just slides into a team and he's makes just makes it look like he's been there forever and plays every single game and it doesn't miss a beat. Um, it, it's just, yeah, taking an opportunity on a player like that and quite often it won't pay off, but this has paid off hugely. It's, He's probably our most consistent player in the team. Yeah, you don't and, and what a luxury. Yeah. The, the, the fact that you know, last year especially, you lose, lose Robin again at the start of the season for, for the whole year. Carlisle's out for most of the year. And then this kid, who's not even a kid really, but who's, who's an accountant, you know, three months earlier, four months earlier, was, was working in an office. Um, you know, he just slots in and he, like you said, he just doesn't seem to get beaten doesn't matter if he's playing as a, as a loose man in defense, if he's playing one-on-one, if he's in contest, he just doesn't get beaten. It's, it's incredible. It's the new Max Hudson. Yeah, he's the one guy that you, when, you, when they pick the side, you're like, well, I don't even worry about Kel Wilkie. It's like he'll play on someone and beat him, and you don't even think about matchups or, or sort of how he'll go. It's just like, well, we assume that that job will just get done. But uh, on those best players, and, and obviously we'll sink our teeth into to changes a little bit later on, votes were, were sort of pretty hard to come by. Obviously, we'll accumulate our votes out of round one there um we've got them somewhere but obviously on the back of isolation football was shut down that particular day we're sort of pulling all of those votes out of the the north melbourne game but the best players were probably similar but um might start off with uh with you nick if you want to go through your uh, your three two and one out of the uh, out of the victory yeah I, I really liked dan butler's game uh i thought his his pressure in the forward half was uh was the best on the field. Uh, the way that he chased, the way that he hit hit the ball. Um, there was one, I think it was late in the third quarter, where he where he hit a pack, crumbed off off the hands, and then delivered to the goal square um, almost in a single move. And uh, I really really enjoyed his game. Uh, two votes to Zach Jones. Really hard to split Zach Jones and Jack Billings. I thought were the, the two best players on the on the ground. Uh, but you know, it's tough. There were a couple of guys that I thought were tough to miss out. I thought uh, Hunter Clark was, was stiff to miss out on votes as well. Um, but yeah, Jones and Billings were, were phenomenal with the ball and without, I thought as well. I've pretty much go, go exactly the same way. Billings, clear best on ground. Um, so as we saw, made numerous teams of the week. Um, then you had Jones slide into a couple himself as well. Um, he, he, Gave us the run, gave us the disposal. To the, the thing that we were actually a little bit worried about him with his usage of the ball. We knew he had the speed, but his finishing was just as good. Um, and then, yeah, Butler, he, he scouted the pack. Um, his pressure inside the 50, his, the tackling, just all the, this 
working with all the other players that have been there for a while, sliding in and just making the forward line look like a fortress to get out of. Yeah, I'm going to make it a hat-trick exactly the same votes. So Billings, three votes, 24 possessions and three goals. Zach Jones, two votes and he had 29. And we had an interesting talkback caller on Sunday night on SEN saying they were at the drive-in watching the game with Romana and they were honking their horn every time St Kilda kicked a goal. And then they changed it in the second quarter to honking the horn every time Zach Jones got a possession. And they joked that their car broke down uh, as a result of <laughs> the amount of times they had to use the horn. And uh, Dan Butler gets the, the one vote. So I read the stat that tackles inside 50 in the competition this year. St Kilda have had 50. The team that's had the second most is Port Adelaide with 34. So we're a fair way ahead. And Dan Butler's had 10 of the, the 50 across the two weeks for the, uh, for the Saints. Um, so three Billings, two Jones, one Butler. Could easily have given a vote to Ryder. Could have given a vote to Steele. Could have given a vote to Seb Ross. Clark. Clark. Yeah, any of those. Uh, Cal Wilkie obviously could have got a vote as well. We, we almost forget it, so forget about Cal and you almost don't even calculate him in for votes, but you probably should. So, yeah, they were all in the uh, all in the mix. So, so that was really encouraging. But, um, yeah, a man who uh, you couldn't really forget when he was playing footy is going to be our, uh, our next guest. Yeah, m- many memorable highlights. Uh, if you didn't practice, I saw this on Twitter a little while ago, if you didn't practice Aussie Jones goals at training, running goals from 50 metres, then you probably didn't like footy that much. So uh, he's our next guest on the program. possessions. He averages 29 of the past three seasons against the Crows. Harvey out wide. Jones is running. And that's danger for the Crows. Costa in pursuit. Jones, the length of the ground, nearly. 60 out. Will he take the ball off? Handled inside to Thompson. A fumble. Back. Aussie Jones goes with the left. Kicks it. Well, it is our pleasure to catch up with one of the great blokes in footy and one of the most exciting players to represent the Saints for quite some time. I think we all remember the runs down the wing at Waverley Park and then obviously the move to, to halfback and the influence at, at Marvel Stadium or Telstra Dome as it was at the time and one of the greatest goals we've ever seen in a grand final, obviously back in 97. I speak of Ozzy Jones and Oz, nice to, uh, to catch up with you again, mate. Yeah, good day, gents. Thanks for having me tonight. Now, um... Those early days, sort of when you obviously you grew up not all that far away, like a Victorian boy coming to the Saints at an interesting time. Tony Lockett had just left the club. A lot of you young guys sort of came in as a result of some of those picks that were acquired. What was the St Kilda like that you uh, that you found when you arrived under Stan Ellis? Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly different times. We were at a uh, pretty rundown Moorabbin at, at the time. I think it's pretty famous at the. The change rooms, I mean, the, the whole place, to be honest, the, the reception, the, the social club was all, all pretty ordinary. We had a weights room that had rotten floorboards and, and all that sort of stuff. So probably a fair, fair bit different to what the boys experience now. Um, not only at Moorabbin, but down at, down at Seaford when they, they moved down there with sort of first-class first facilities all, all around. So um, they deserved to get spoiled, but we certainly walked into something a, a little bit different uh, back then, but it was exciting because the club had sort of made a, a pretty big effort to go down a, a different path. You know, obviously they played finals early 90s on the back of a few um, older recruits and the, yeah, just in 94, the draft of 94, um, they obviously went with me, Joel, Brownie, Dad with Lapo and the Wakelands and a few other guys and yeah, we started to build a pretty young um, core group. Well, see, before that 94 draft and obviously it was a pretty good uh, a pretty good draft for us, but you spent time with the uh, Collingwood Reserves, is that right? And, and 
Melbourne as well. What, what happened with those clubs? Yeah, so back in my day when I was playing in the in the TAC Cup, now the NAB Cup, uh, the, the lists were quite small, I think. And when the, the AFL clubs got injuries, they used to call up the under-18s kids to to fill in. So I played a game for, for Collingwood and um, I was at the, I was at the Dan Knox Stingrays at the time. They got a call to, uh, from Collingwood never to send me back. Um, they thought I was a bit slight and a bit fragile and all those sort of things. So I was pretty confident Collingwood weren't going to draft me. Uh, and then uh, I actually did the same with, with Melbourne. Um, when I was with the Stingrays, we went down to Cadinia Park and played the Geelong Falcons under-18s. They beat us by about 30 goals. The following weekend, I played for Melbourne's twos against Geelong's twos, and they beat us by 30 goals. So back-to-back 30-goal thumpings down at Cadinia Park. Um, and I remember Rod Grinter was running around the twos, and he's, to this day, he's probably the biggest spray I've ever copped from a, from a teammate. And I was an under-18 filling in for Melbourne, and he absolutely ripped me. Um, and, yeah, the, I got another letter. The, the Dan Oxtingray's got another letter from uh, Melbourne saying, don't send this kid back to us again. So there was two clubs where I knew I wasn't going when the draft, draft day came around. So you get drafted eventually by Sir Kilda and then your first game you end up going over to Perth to play. Um, sort of a bit of a daunting debut, I guess. I mean, you'd played a couple of the pre-season matches before that. Um, but how's Perth as a first up? Yeah, it was pretty daunting. Absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, West Coast were running premiers as, as well. Um, so, no, for, first game, I actually start in a forward pocket and I'm sort of walking from our, from our huddle for the start of the start of the game and John Worsfold comes over to me. You know, he's the running premiership captain, known for his hardness and all that sort of stuff. And I, I'm in for a pretty tough day here. But he actually came up, shook my hand, uh, wished me all the best. Um, well and truly beat me on the day, but more um, just didn't let me near the footy. He, he, he certainly didn't pick on me. Um, which I thought he was going to do. I thought he was going to just brutalise me and punch the crap out of me. But he actually just beat me because he was more physically um, stronger, uh, you know, mentally stronger, reigning premiership captain. And I just think he, he knew he had me beat right from uh, right from the first bounce. But to this day, um, I, I remember, the, remember the game and how um, respectful and, and positive John Worsfold was. And, and even now, he's, um, I've got letters from John when I played my milestone games. Uh, at times, he was an opponent of mine, then, then coach of, of uh, West Coast, uh, wishing me all the best in the future and also congratulating me on the career I'd had, had to date. So, sign of, a, sign of a true gentleman. Absolutely. Now, there were some good signs from St Kilda pretty quickly uh, in that pre-season of 95. We beat Carlton at Waverley in a, a ripper of a game. You kicked three. Joel Smith kicked the winner. We came from about 40 points down. Won the pre-season the following year in, in 96, but just couldn't quite get it together until we recovered from one and five, one and four in, in 97. Can you, can you sort of take us back to that moment? You had a brilliant year in 97, but from one and four to launch into a grand final, can, can you pinpoint a, a particular turning point? Yeah, I can. Absolutely. I think anyone from the club at the time will, will sort of highlight that after the one and, one and four, um, we went upstairs into a, a meeting room that we that we had in Moorabbin. And any time you went upstairs, you, you sort of risked your life. Like I said, the whole joint was about to fall down. So um, we, all, we all sat there and we sort of looked each other in the eyes. Stan Alves ran, ran the session and basically said, this, this is where it's at. You know, we, we've got a squad together that needs to be better. Um, you know, we, we highlighted a few things. We changed a few um, training habits. Stan basically got up in front and said, if I'm not... If I'm not the right man, let me know. And he, he got 100% on 
support from the group. You know, had great leaders, Berkey Harves, Lowy, you know, even Nicky Winmar. It's probably doesn't get mentioned so much for the leadership, but was huge um, mentor for me my, in my playing days. Um, and from then, we, we sort of really did turn it on, you know, to I think we won 15 of the next 16, some, something like that. Um, you know, it was sort of, sort of unheard of. And, then, you know, from the, from the Saints footy club leading into that time, I don't think they'd done that too often in their entire history. So it was huge. It was a roller coaster. It was good to be, good to be part on. And, you know, obviously the end result, which we'll probably get to, didn't go our way. It sort of felt for that period of time, we, we felt invincible and we could beat anyone. Ozzy, so, did you see that period coming? No, no, not, not, not to that level. You know, you, you guys have sort of mentioned already that we, we had um, Smitty, Brownie, uh, Lapo that sort of complemented the, the stars that we, that we had going around. You know, there was probably some unheralded guys too. You know, the, the Wakelands were sort of holding down key positions um, down back. You know, Matty Lappin had a, had a huge year as, as well. Um, so we didn't, didn't see that coming, but, you know, because we did have, oh, I won't say arrogance, but a little bit of confidence in amongst the younger guys that the, the club brought in. We, we sort of rode it a little bit, and as much as we didn't see it coming, once it was happening, we sort of, there was no, no real disbelief. It was sort of like, yeah, yeah, we're up to this. We're good enough. Let's, let's ride it out. So speaking of, as you say, we're going to move into grand finals. I mean, we get all do remember one moment, basically, that happened in that game. Let's actually take you to that point where you've received the kick from Harves on the back flank, right on looking up the wing. What are you looking at ahead of you? What are you thinking? What's, uh, are you actually thinking, I'm off here, or was there an option that you thought oh, I should hit that option, or where did you? Where did it take you? Yeah, you can probably see a couple of times. It's actually really you can sort of. Um, clearly see that at times I did look to sort of give it off. So it wasn't, wasn't my plan from halfback to, to kick the goal. But I'll go back a little bit. It was actually a set play. Um, the, the kick was to go to Robert Harvey, you know, on that 45, about 15 out, and then kick, try and get outside the zone to, to me um, to, to try and use my pace and, and run. So quite amazing that something like that comes off it at that level. But it was strong. Um, early on in the run, I, I actually looked to give to Brett Cook. And then I think, uh, no, nah, I'll just let him smash Kim Costa here. I'll just let him do all the dirty work and I'll just stay on the outside and, and run and get a hot dog from the grandstand while I'm going past. Um, and then again, I sort of, I actually look to kick the ball inside 50 and I do that weird bouncing where I sort of go to mm. kick it but drop the ball and it comes back to me. And, and then I'm basically just confused. I handball to Tomo and think I'm done and he sort of fumbles it mainly because it was a shit handball. And then I get it back and, and manage to manage to slot it. So, um, yeah, my, my family's basically say to me, you know, obviously winning would have been uh, the Premiership medallion, but if we had a one, you know, that'd be on every grand final um, Channel 7 moment for the, for the rest of our lives. But it gets sort of pushed away, but uh, I'd rather missed and it changed the course of the game and, and we won. But uh, it's a nice memory and, you know, I'm coaching Bunyip out here in Gippsland now and every time the boys have a few beers, they YouTube it and show me just to piss me off. <laughs> Probably increases to about fourteen bounces by the time the uh the, the That's right. Over. Once I've had a few, it does. <laughs> um, post obviously ninety seven, we're, we're in front at halftime in the grand final. It's pretty close to obviously winning a flag in, in ninety eight. We're eleven and three, and, and on top of the ladder, uh, things are going pretty well. Within about eight or nine weeks, we've got a new coach and. And we're on track to win a wooden spoon within two years. I guess we spoke about how quickly it rose. Can you pinpoint why it, it dropped so quickly? 
Uh, I can't. I've been been asked this a, a lot, and you know, thought about it a lot, especially because you know, in in the rooms in in '97, it was after the grand final. It was really, really emotional, and I actually got criticised a little bit from a couple of players that I didn't show show that emotion. It was probably because I was 20. You know, I could look around the room and think, you know, we've got we've got something here. You know, I was obviously as disappointed as anyone, but probably. You know, some of the older boys were really visibly emotional, and I, I probably didn't get to that point because I thought that's okay. You know, we're going we're going to have a run of, of a few um, finals appearances and all that sort of stuff. And as you said, we, you know, we sort of dropped off just as quick as we went up. So um, I, I can't pinpoint it. You know, obviously um, in '97, Joel does his knee. He ends up um, going going to Hawthorne for probably a little bit of security um, options, and you know, I'm not sure he was treated the best. By, by the Saints, you know, there was a few things like that. Spider ends up uh, ducking off. Some of our absolute superstars are now two, three, four years older. And, you know, they're probably the depth through the through the young guys probably didn't match, you know, these older guys, um, you know, not so much getting to the end of their career because, you know, the, the stars that I mentioned probably played for another three or four years. But, you know, we just probably didn't get that depth through the list to be able to su- sustain it. Um, yeah, and as you said, it dropped off pretty quick. You know, 98 finals appearance, but never really looked damaging. And then 99, 2001 were, were pretty ordinary. Ozzy, after that 98 season of disappointment, I guess, ultimately, uh, Stan Alves was moved on. And there's there's been accusations, I guess, for 15, 20 years about what happened there. And, and you know, people talk about the players were involved in that and there was you know, talks of mutiny and all that sort of stuff. Can you give us a bit of insight into what the what the locker room was like around that time? Yeah, it was probably, um, yeah, it was a little, little bit awkward at, at the time. Um, I, I wasn't involved in, in much of that sort of stuff. You know, I, again, you know, we sort of touched on it, on it earlier. My... My outlook on footy was playing the game, you know, getting yourself right, enjoying it and, you know, representing the club to the best of their ability. I sort of didn't deal with much of the backhouse. It was sort of part of it that didn't really, really interest me. And, you know, I get, I get asked about coaches, coaches a lot. And, you know, I was really, really surprised that Alvesy uh, got the flick. <clears throat> I wasn't surprised when Tim, Tim Watson was moved on because it was actually his call. He sort of come to us. Uh, with six or seven rounds to go in the season when when he was gone, um, when Blighty got the flick, I was I was surprised, but didn't see it coming, didn't look into it too much. So um, it was an awkward place to be. It was it was more awkward for the short time after when, you know, Stanhouse was still the biggest influence in in my career. You know, he he was huge in sort of taking the the club down the youth um, path, and then actually having the confidence in '95 and '96 to play us. Uh, probably ahead of our time a, a little bit, but you know, obviously the result '97 showed that it was that it was worth it. So, um, yeah, huge surprise, strange, strange place to be. Then, you know, we sort of talk about why did things drop off? Probably the instability with the, you know, the, the coaching staff and all those sort of things certainly certainly don't help any footy club, do they? The, the really strong uh, clubs that have sustained success don't don't do it. So we talk about you brought in. Uh, talk about Timmy Watson, talk about Blight, talk about Ben Grant Thomas, um, all very, very different coaches. Um, is there something you were able to take then from one coach and the next coach and the next coach there and just sort of go, okay, and that's kind of where the point you got to in 05 where you, you played a different game and you changed kind of how you played the game and 
was there anything that you brought from all of them in any sort of way at all? Um, yeah, they're all all very very different. Um, obviously, Stan Stan probably a little bit um, old, old school. You know, we we train in in a certain way, but nothing like the the clubs do now. Um, you know, Tim Tim was a strange one. He didn't have any any apprenticeship, but had done you know some time in the media. I was actually an Essendon supporter growing up and had number thirty two on my back, so I was pretty excited for the first first little bit. You know, that didn't turn out. Um, all that well, I wouldn't know how blighty coaches. He wasn't there long enough and didn't turn up enough. And uh, and probably you know as much as I say, Alvesy um, was the biggest influence. I, I probably coach myself more more like Grant. Um, you know, with the the man management sort of stuff. You know, I'd sort of pride myself on the guys that I coach each week uh, are in a frame of mind to to deliver their best. Um, but probably similar to Grant as well. Well, not brilliant tactically. You know, myself. So. I sort of feel with with Grant, he had a he had an amazing footy brain next to him in the in the in the box in, in Matt Randall. But I don't know if, if Buddy um, got a, got enough say. I don't know. I didn't sit in the in the box a lot, but um, yeah, I sort of sort of took a little bit from Elves and a little bit from from Tomo and you know um, Tim and Blighty were there for short times. Grant Thomas seems to be the type of coach that would maybe suit the the way you play. He was big on players playing on instinct and and the natural style of the game and and being perhaps maybe more offensively minded. Uh, You're a player that, you know, take the game on, run, carry, uh, a lot of of pace and and long goals and and those sorts of things. Do you you sometimes feel now, looking at the AFL from the outside, that maybe tactically the game almost takes that out of people a little bit and, and there's still room for allowing players to be themselves and, and play with flair and, and maybe you get that a little bit more coaching at a, at a local level. Yeah. So before I get into like what I think of the current day footy park, I think you just called me a loose unaccountable halfback flanker in reading, reading between the lines. So, so thanks for that, mate. But um, A very good uh, one at that. So. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah. Good cover. Well, yeah. Well backed up. Um, Oh, you can sort of see they play like robots. You know, they they defend like robots. They defend as as teams and all that sort of stuff. It, it works. It's it's the modern game. I, I love watching it. You know, it's quick. The skill levels, uh, really high. You know, someone like Milne that didn't finish all that long ago. Imagine taking the instinct out of out of his game. You know, he kicked over six hundred goals at whatever two point two a game. You know, if if he hasn't got instinct, he hasn't got a heap. But his instinct was everything he, he had. You know, no one could tackle him. He could turn blokes inside out so I, I think there's a there's a, a a space to get the the balance right you know and I reckon maybe the last couple of years they've probably gone back to allowing a little bit of um, freedom in in players games and when I say you know a little bit of freedom it still has to stick within certain parameters you know and um, Richmond have got it you know you can you can see dusty at, at times where he'll just slide forward when he when he thinks you know, he's, he's going to um, have an opponent that he's going to beat one-on-one. You know, at the other end, Basha Hooley seems to run with a fair bit of fair bit of freedom because they're so confident in, in his decision-making ability and their ability to run the footy as a team and defend as a team. So um, I'd love to see more freedom. Of course I would because that's how I played. Um, but I can understand the modern coaches and the success they get on, you know, this full-team structure and all that sort of stuff. But I reckon there's, there's a place for a bit of balance. Off the back of that comment, how do you reckon you would have gone if you, if you'd stuck around for a few more years and, and played under under Ross in in that kind of oh seven eight nine ten period? If if you lasted that long, obviously. Um, but uh, uh, you know that was a pretty rigid, really structured kind of game style. How do you reckon you would have gone in that in that kind of period? 
Well, I retired at the end of 05 because footy was getting too serious and there was meetings about meetings. So how do you reckon I would have gone? <laughs> I, I would have, but I would have walked out of meetings on Monday morning because we used to have meetings. This is 05. We used to have meetings on Monday morning to set up our meetings for the week. And I'm like, are you, are you serious? Can, can we just get those red and yellow things out and kick them around? Um, so, mate, I would have been shit house, and not, not because I couldn't have played under Ross Lyon. I, from all reports, all the players who played under him absolutely loved him, but it wouldn't have suited me, mate, not one little bit. <laughs> now, bit, a bit of a contrasting moment between two matches that you've played in. Now, we had the 96 preseason grand final where Siren went, crowd went nuts, crowds absolutely packed with supporters, old fella climbing the point post, celebrating like it was like we'd actually won a premiership to then move on to 2004 where we basically <laughs> went, nope, that's, that's, that's nothing. It doesn't matter. So that, but, what, just the contrasting moment. How, how's the difference in the feeling of those two? Yeah, very, very different. Um, but even, even for us, you sort of, sort of talk about the supporters, the supporters probably enjoyed 04 more than us. Um, you know, I enjoyed 96 and then, you know, there's obviously a pretty famous photo of, of Tomo and Lenny with that weird wizard trophy looking like their cat had died. You know, it was um, just just horrible. You know, we didn't have a lot of success. We've just taken home a trophy that the AFL felt was relevant enough to, to have a trophy. And poor old Lenny's got to get up there, who was probably a little bit um, excited inwardly and had to get up there and pretend he didn't care and all that sort of stuff. It was just... Just a weird fielding, and you know, and that was that was sort of um, Tomo's outlook that we were only chasing one sort of title, and everything sort of on the way was was irrelevant. Whereas, I mean, I, even the um, '97 Grand Final uh, Prelim Final, we had a little bit of it. You know, I actually finished on the bench in the '97 Granny and uh, Prelim. As soon as the siren went, I was really excited. Ran on the ground, which players are because you've just earned the opportunity playing at, at a Granny, and a couple of senior players sort of sort of brought it back a little bit. And I just thought they got the balance wrong at, at that time. You know, so Kilda Footy Club hasn't got a huge um, amount of success. And I reckon we should celebrate, you know, every, everything we get. See, you still had a couple of good years in you. And obviously, 04, 05, we played prelim finals and, and you know, a kick or two away from, from grand final appearances again. Having been through that experience in, in 97, obviously, and 98, again, what was it like in those couple of years under, under GT, but being one of the more experienced guys? And, and what was the difference from, from that kind of 96, 97 era when you were one of the kids? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was certainly, certainly different. I, I felt like the 04, 05 sides had a lot more, lot more depth. Um, you know, obviously without sort of going back to 97 too much, you know, we, we had quite a few key players out that, that really sort of probably hurt our, our chances. Whereas in 04, 05, there was some actually really good players missing out in, in playing. So that, that depth was absolutely critical. And, you know, there's, there's probably a, a, a little bit of luck, um, you know, some decision-making from, from the box and, and on the ground that probably hurt us in a couple of preliminary finals, you know, not being able to go on and get that another opportunity at a grand final. So, you know, it, you sort of talk about a lot of teams that, that can have a run where they might make one granny and, and win it. We were probably that side that had a really good list, um, really good momentum, positive feel within the club, but just sort of couldn't get past that, that prelim stage when I was um, coming to the end of my career. Now, in 04, we had a pretty big win against uh, pre, uh, reigning premiers in Brisbane. Um, 
generally we see the key moment of Schwartz putting through the goal from outside the 50, but there was a bit of a key moment not long before that. How much did you miss that point by? Uh, it, it wasn't heaps, but when you're 30 metres out pretty much straight in front with no pressure, to miss altogether, it doesn't matter how much by. I should have kicked a goal, much less not even uh, scrape in for a point. But looking back, it actually worked out well because Schwarter went back and, and kicked the goal. By me missing, kept the ball up our half. It's all, it's all, it was all part of my plan, you know, just to kick an absolute horrible kick. If I had to kick the goal, I would have gone back to the middle and give Brizzy a chance to uh, to get over the top of it. So um, that all worked out well. He's a ripping fella, Troy Schwartz, but uh, he'll be remembered for for that kick. He did bugger all in his career anyway, so he'll be remembered for that forever. Classic seven-point play. Now, I know you've got a, a meeting very shortly, but you're an All-Australian in 97, then you're an All-Australian again later in your career. And I know you went through some difficulty in that back end of the 90s, early 2000s. How much did it mean to you to, in a different role, climb the tree again and obviously get that recognition? And I guess the second part of that question, you, you retired relatively young, and I know you've spent a lot of time in country football as opposed to perhaps the, the Melbourne bubble. Was it a little bit motivated by that? I think you, you would have been, what, 29 when you gave it away? Yeah, I actually turned 29 about a week after my, my last game. So I was 20, 28 at the time. And, you know, I, I sort of spoke about some of the younger guys probably didn't get to the level of our, our superstars, 99, 2000. And I, I, was, I was one of them. I don't shy away from it. My, my best footy come when I was motivated, enjoying the game, um, and I had periods right throughout my whole career. And 99-2000 was probably the low point where I struggled for the motivation to train at the level required um, of AFL footy. You know, I had some great influences at, at the club. You know, Robert Harvey, you know, obviously recognised um, across our industry as perhaps the best trainer um, ever. But it was actually a guy called Andrew Thompson. Um, you know, you, you guys would know him, a club best and fairest winner, that really, really sort of drove me to, to get back to... Um, getting fit, getting motivated, playing playing the game. And it would have been about the end of 02, I think. It was draft, uh, trade deadline was 2 o'clock. And I was on like a phone conference with Grant Thompson, Adrian Dodoro from Essendon and, and Kevin Sheedy. And Grant Thomas sort of came over the top and said, I've got a role for you. I'd love you to stay at, at the Saints. And, um, you know, he moved me to half back and I enjoyed a, a nice change in me in my career, different roles, always probably pretty handy at at reading the play and kicking the footy. So it worked out well and it's a nice way to finish off my career. Looking at, at this year in a, in a football sense, um, there's always been debates around, you know, will the season have an asterisk against it? I mean, you're going through difficulties at, at a local level as are most of us in sport, that the AFL can generally create a way to survive with bubbles and exemptions and, and travel restrictions and all of that sort of stuff. But um, how do you feel about, I guess, the way they're handling it now and, and the way this, this whole year looks from your point of view at the AFL? Are you comfortable that this season's going to be one where, in, in a sense, whoever wins the premiership, it's almost more difficult than it's ever been before and, and there should certainly be no asterisks against the year? I'd probably look at it a little bit different, Parker. I reckon there will there will be an asterisk, and depending on your outlook on footy, will mean whether that asterisk is a is a positive or or a negative. I, I think the AFL team that wins the premiership this year has done an amazing job to to get their players and their club up and about. Um, you talk about the asterisks. The whole world's got an asterisk, really, hasn't it? For for 2020, you know, if you've been able to handle this time positively, uh, keep your group upbeat, you know. 
I love Damien Hardwick because he's really honest. And I saw an interview with him last week where he sort of spoke about how even in the first two or three weeks of lockdown, he, he didn't really handle it that well. Um, some of the players, Heath Shaw's another one, he, he, he said he's like a footy trip. You know, the first week of lockdown, he just went on a bender, you know. So the, the, the club, the coaches, the players that can manage this time in completely unprecedented times, um, environment, personally, I reckon I'll have an asterisk, but it'll be an asterisk of well bloody done. Well done to get your club, your players and your coaching staff through a tough time and win a flag. Are going to be a huge effort. As we saw you a month or so ago uh, on a, a club video chat with, with Joel Smith and, and Brownie and, and those guys. How involved are you at a, at a club level you know, with the club these days? And, and was there a period you know, kind of when you, when you walked away that you a little bit disillusioned with the club? And, and how, did, how did it kind of come about that, that you came back to, to do that video for the club? Yeah, so I never, never really had much of an issue um, with, with the club. I, the, the biggest um, strain probably put on the club when Ross, Ross was coach. And, and like I said, I don't say... Um, anything negative about coach because all my teammates that played under Ross reckon he was an absolute genius. It was more the fact that the club locked down. You know, it was an absolute um, shutout of everyone. You know, you guys would have would have seen it, heard it, experienced. It wasn't just sort of the the media. You know, the amount of closed training sessions where supporters weren't allowed to go. The access to um, past players was sort of um, taken away as as well. And it wasn't so much the club. I understood where they were coming from, but a lot of the a lot of the players, not so much disillusioned, but because we weren't actually welcomed back into the the fold of the footy club, we just stopped trying, I suppose, and um, you know stopped trying to go to to games and functions and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the last few years, probably on the back of uh, well, Cowboy Neil initially and just Justin Kaczynski, they've really started to engage the the past players. Um, the video chat you talk about had Tony Brown in it, who's the welfare manager down there, who I'm still great mates with. So um, it's probably just come about with a, a change of outlook, you know, making sure the past players that gave up, uh, you know, a fair bit of their time and effort to um, uh, represent the footy club are, are seen like that. So I've hosted a few supporter rooms for them in the last couple of years. And um, probably with the shutdown too, Nick, the, the club didn't have any content for their Facebook page. So they started to go on Russ old pricks for, to tell some stories and all that sort of stuff, mate. So I'm telling you, as soon as the AFL season starts again, you won't hear, hear us again. So we just made the most while we're in the limelight there for a bit. Um, now, speaking of the current day and all what's happening at the moment with the team and everything, at the moment we've got a small back pocket, great on the left, great on the right, kicker basically uh, by the name of Clark how much have you seen about him and has anyone said to you hey there's a little bit of Aussie Jones in this kid because the way he moves the way he kicks the ball around he, he is going to be a very good player and I can yeah a few people have mentioned they can see just a little bit of in there yeah, I like, uh, I like Clark I actually like the way the, the whole uh, list is going um, I'm not going to fake me way through this I don't see anywhere near enough of the Saints as, as I'd hope. Um, you know, by I've got a a couple of boys. One's playing junior junior footy, so you know I'm at his games all the time, uh, coaching senior footy. Uh, haven't got Foxtel at home, and bloody hell, the Saints are on on a lot of Foxtel games. There's not much free to air going on. So, um, and I'm I'm also you know in in Gippsland, so I sort of don't get into 
um, watch them as much as I as I'd like. But you know what I what I see, I like. Um, I think you know I'm not a genius to say this, but Max King's going to be someone we can build the build the side around. Um, I think Jack Billings is going to be an A grader if he's not already. You know his his form just continually stacks up. You know sort of getting that twenty between twenty and and thirty possessions, but backing it up with two or or three every week. Um, again, I'm not going to fake it or, or bullshit. I, I'm not sure we're ready to sort of challenge a very, very good size, but I think the list is building to, to an area where we will shortly. And just, a, I guess, a, a final thought to, to squeeze one in. The fact that you were such a good kick on both sides of the body, um, was that instinctive? Were you ambidextrous, I guess, as a youngster? Because you were, you were probably one of the best. We look at Sam Mitchell and guys like that at, at using your left and your right. Yeah, I am reasonably handy sort of in most most sports on, on both sides, but it was actually the old the old man, you know, if I ever had a kick with a footy with the old bloke, he'd say, you've got to kick on the left because he knew if I was mucking around with my mates or, you know, having a kick at training, it'd always be on the right, you know, so he knew I was doing enough on my preferred side. So anytime the old man dragged me out in the street or up the park, it was always on the left and I bloody hated him at the time for it. I just wanted to kick some, some rippers from the boundary on, on the right, but... You know, when you when you get to TAC level and then AFL level, I just I just feel it makes you such a such a better player and harder harder to read, harder to catch because you know I, I had the confidence to go on my left, and if you're trying to defend that, you know you, you can shut down certain players because they know you know they're only going to kick on their left. So you, you go to that side, shut them down. If they end up kicking on their right, it's actually a positive. Um, of how you've defended them, so I saw it as a strength. I didn't, um, I didn't mind going on the left. Not too many coaches sort of um, had a crack at me at, at times, and you know I'm still doing a lot with some junior footballers out in the bush now, and you know I'm pretty hard on them getting them on the left, and I talk to them. You know I, I say to them it's going to make you twice as good a player. It's probably not, but that's the way I sort of uh, try and influence the boys to get better on their other side. Good luck with the Bulldogs at uh, at Bunyip, mate, and good luck with footy resuming. Um, it'll be great to have your uh, obviously your expertise in in local footy for for whatever this season looks like. Wish we could have an hour with you, mate. Hopefully we can uh, we can do it again down the track. Yeah, lock lock me in, guys. I've I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, obviously we we speak a bit, Parco. Um, footy's all over the shop at the moment. I'm I'm coaching down to twelves out out here at Bunyip, so I got home tonight. My wife works late. I've fed them. Now I've got a committee meeting to see where the hell footy and our club's going in the next four months. So um, pretty hectic, but wouldn't have it any other way. It's the greatest game in the world. Certainly is, mate. And you made it uh, pretty special as well. So uh, good luck going forward. Thanks, gents. Also to our supporters, um, 44,000 members um, have been so loyal to us, um, and especially through this period. And to have roughly 1,200 people down at Dramana and um, supporting the Saints. And um, I reckon I could have actually heard a few cheers um, through the game. But um, now it was a, a very, very good performance for the boys. And the bit was the difference between round one was our consistency in the game. Um, you know, yep, the Bulldogs came at us, but our ability to absorb that and keep focus and, and not let it get to us. So, um, yeah, it was a really pleasing effort. And we've got some big challenges coming up with the uh, the Pies and the Tigers, but um, this was a bit of a shot of confidence for us. And, um, yeah, it was a great night for the footy club. Thank you. Unplug it. Thanks to the wonderful crew down at Marbled Meats, which is bringing that classic butcher back to the suburbs of East Bentley, which is, as we know, St Kilda heartland down in that part of the world. We turn our attention to Collingwood. So we knew that this fortnight represented a stiff challenge. We've got Collingwood and Richmond 
they played a fairly ugly game against each other on Thursday night. But a lot of the reason why it was ugly is because they're both so good defensively and strong around the ball. And it's supposed to be a little bit wet on Saturday. We're playing at the MCG. So it's obviously different to the slick surface at, at Marvel Stadium. But uh, the, the run in the open space should still suit us. We've got a few things that can trouble Collingwood. It's just, it's a good test for, say, a resting forward like Marshall and a, and a kid like Max King to, to be able to try to, to penetrate against that Collingwood defence. But starting with you, Nick, how, how are you feeling about it? And, and obviously any potential changes? We know Geary is one out. Yeah, look, it's a difficult one based on Collingwood's game because I feel like both those teams, Collingwood and Richmond, almost played not to lose rather than playing to win. They didn't seem to take the game on much in the second half. Um, there, there wasn't much to like about that game. It was, it was really tough viewing. Uh, whereas you, you, you contrast that with our game style on, uh, on Sunday evening. And, and that was, you know, we played to win. We, we weren't looking to save things. We, we played hard. We ran hard. Um, really attractive, nice, nice football to watch. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Collingwood bring that same style to the, to the G on uh, on Saturday and and whether we can do the same thing as well. Um, Collingwood obviously have, have one of the better midfields in the competition. They've been known for that uh, and the way that they move the ball over the last few years. So, you know, whether whether they bring that kind of game style back uh, in, in round three is, is going to be one question. And if they do, whether we can cope with it on the defensive end. Um, but secondly, whether we can make them pay when we have the ball, like we did with the Bulldogs. Um, the... the Lineup is also like like you said, they're really interesting one. Whether it's Webster that comes in for Geary, or where they go a bit taller with with Battle and bring him back to play a bit, bit of that swingman um, role, or, or or what they do is going to be a really interesting call because no one really plays the same way as Jaron Geary, and, and that's a really big loss I think for for the way that our defence is structured and, and lines up. So that's going to be a really interesting one. I'm, I'm keen to see who they bring in because I, you know, I, I really thought that Josh Battle was coming in for round two. Uh, and again, was really surprised that he was left out again. Um, so I, I'd love to see him in, but he's not a, he's certainly not a like for like, um, you know, switch for, for Jaron Geary. What will be interesting to see which way they do go is Parker said, it's most likely going to be a bit wet on Saturday. Um, so the ruck combo, that's going to be the other thing. Are we going to stick with the tall side? Are we going to have a look at perhaps taking out one ruckman and, maybe just just like a battle coming back in just that mid-sized player um just it's gonna be a completely different game and on top of that we we don't really know what Collingwood are going to bring as you say it's it's their game is something we really can't look at and go oh this is how they're playing it it's just a game that had nothing in it nothing to get to give us an idea of which way they're going and so it's, it's not something to we can really gather our days okay this is the way the team has to be structured so it's almost one we have to go out there and try to win ourselves to rather than trying to beat the way they play yeah, it looks yeah, like good, good call on, on the ruckman as well i think the just as as we record this on wednesday evening there seems to be a bit of a question mark around Brody grundy as well um and, and whether he's going to play so that's obviously a massive out for them he's, oh, he's yeah. one of the top three or four players in the competition um and, and you know the outcome of, of that, whether he plays or not, might have a big bearing on, on who we play in the ruck. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, I mean, the, the theory is if he does play, obviously double-teaming him is a reasonable way to go. And Marshall around the ground seems a better match-up, but, but Ryder's more likely to perhaps beat him in, in, in bounces and, and contests around the ground. So 
Um, you're probably not going to beat Brody Grundy. It's more whether you um, whether you neutralise that matchup, and obviously he's not there. That's that's huge for us. But I think Battle has to play for a number of reasons because one, he could play if they structure up small inside fifty instead of a tall. Uh, he could play potentially in the midfield as, as a taller option, but he could also potentially play a Jaron Geary role as a defensive forward on Jeremy Howe. So Jeremy Howe last week took a thousand marks and was cutting off everything when Richmond went forward. Um, I could see if Josh Battle could make him accountable and, and drag him away from the contest because Jeremy Howe reads the play so well, then if you could work out your matchups where say Jack Steele plays on Pendlebury or or somebody side bottom, somebody of that ilk, and then you you get your rucks right and then maybe you do a defensive role on Jeremy Howe and, and you get your Dugowie matchup right at the other end, which that's where it might be does Webster play in that if he hasn't played AFL for two years? Or do you go with something a bit safer? Like, I mean, Dylan Robertson hasn't played much for two years either. So that's it. Or Cal Wilkie could conceivably play on Dugowie. Maybe that's sort of the way they go. But, um, yeah, they're probably the, the key matchups. And maybe run Sev Ross head-to-head against Taylor Adams, something like that. It's something that I saw today from one of our... Um, listeners Jordan he posted up the team that we actually went in with mm. Collingwood last year and we have eight players most likely who are going to play this week that played in that game so yeah, we're going in with a, in that game. Yeah. yeah and we're going with a completely different team so um that's I don't think theirs is going to be a lot different uh, I mean they're going to have probably 15 16 17 same as last year but mm. we, we ran with them till three quarter time and then they blew us away yeah, we so, should have been a fair way up too, not just with them at three quarter time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but completely different team. It's it's going to be a completely different game to what we played against them last year. So we we really don't know what this side could actually do. So what's our uh, what's our gut feel on it? I mean, it's brave to, to obviously tip us, and probably until we know how we go in a matchup like this. But I'm really curious to see. I mean, I think it's. If we are to have a really significant impact on the season, we've probably got to win one of these two games somehow um, and then get ourselves in a bit of a roll because it would be a dollar one to go to Perth for the hub, I would say, after the Carlton game, um, which is a tricky prospect, although everything's winnable. There's no one at games. So, um, yeah, I think it's important that we, we win one of these two and, and just by sheer value of the two sides, it feels like Collingwood are slightly more beatable than Richmond. So um, hopefully this is the one. And obviously, if you beat Collingwood, you then get a free hit at Richmond to, to double down the following week. And uh, not to mention the confidence that, that you gain from from a, a result like that as well. To go into, into a game with Richmond having beaten Collingwood, uh, you know, that, that would be massive. So what are and, we thinking? Yeah. Uh, the, the, wet, the weather's going to bring it back a little bit, I think. If, if they are the better side of the day, the rain will shorten that gap a little bit. Um, I mean, it feels I would, like scoring. I can't say we're no a bit chance. more used to it than, than we are, though. It feels like yeah, scoring. Like you I, get the feeling would, it's nine goals to six or something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on a dry day, that's a 15 to eight goal yeah. game. Yeah, but um, don't score a lot, but they don't concede a lot either. And it's down. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's where we're going to need our smalls that last week were all very good. Um, it's it's going to be a bit sloppy if it is wet. It's going to be... In and under. If we can get that first use again off Ryder, if he plays, mm. and get off the back of the pack, get running, we can do the same thing again. It, it's 
we're definitely not completely out of the game. That, that's for sure. Um, it, we, we are in with a chance. Absolutely. No question about that whatsoever. Uh, well, we, we look forward to that. It's Collingwood on Saturday. It's, it's good to get, get back to talking about footy and not talking about necessarily possibilities. We're analysing a victory and hunting down rivals and, and big teams in the competition as we, are, as we try to improve over the course of this season. Boys, wherever we're watching it this Saturday, um, hopefully we get the type of result and the type of performance that we got uh, against the Bulldogs. But, uh, but go Saints and a few better sides to beat than Collingwood. So let's hope that it, uh, it goes the right way. One of the best feelings in footy is to, to walk away after a win against Collingwood. This has been Unplugged and a reminder that if you are a carnivore that lives in Melbourne and hasn't been to Marbled Meat, you are missing out. That's the type of feedback Marbled Meats receives from their customers. That review is currently on Google Reviews, so go on, get onto Google, type in Marbled Meats East Bentley, and you can see it all for yourself. Whether it's a porterhouse or pork belly, poultry or even pet treats you're after, Marbled Meats has you covered with all of that and more. Head into store at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. You can order online as well with our promo code PLUGGER, which will get you 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks to a ton of locations around Melbourne and the Mornington Peninsula. So stock up your meat supply, marbledmeats.com.au, promo code PLUGGER for 10% off and free delivery. Bringing that classic butcher back to the suburbs of East Bentley, it's Marbled Meats. 